Welcome to a special edition of Savage Marriage with Phil and Priscilla. And I'm Phil. And I'm Priscilla. You'll be listening to Phil and I read our award-winning book, Savage Marriage, Triumph Over Betrayal and Sexual Addiction. We're releasing the audio version of our book for free, chapter by chapter, every few weeks on this podcast. If you benefited from our ministry, share this podcast with someone else. You'll be glad you did. And here we go. Chapter 3, Secrets Shatter Our Marriage Be sure that your sin will find you out. Numbers 32, 23 God's voice is always calling us out of hiding. That's how you know it's God's voice. Jefferson Bethke, it's not what you think. Why Christianity is about so much more than going to heaven when you die. I eagerly awaited Phil's arrival, wearing a cute outfit and the tempting scent of hypnose, his favorite perfume. I heard the garage open and hurried to the door. I wrapped my arms around him and gave him a tight squeeze and a tender kiss on the lips. I missed you, I whispered in his ear. I felt his jaw clench and I pulled back, looking at his face. Wow, you look tired. His normally wide blue eyes were bloodshot and drooping. He seemed drained. Weren't you in business class last night? Didn't you sleep? Priscilla's bubbly welcome made me feel all the worse, but she was pleasing to my eyes. She wore fashionable white shorts and sandals that revealed bright red toenails, and her soft pastel blouse and subtle makeup enhanced her natural Brazilian beauty, accentuated by her long curly hair. Her fresh look said, welcome home. I missed you. I cringed as I pushed her to the side and walked into the kitchen, keenly aware that my no-holds-barred confession would soon rip her apart. Not wanting her to see my despair, I averted my eyes, looking around the kitchen like I was seeing it for the first time, wondering how to answer her question. I resorted to my natural inclination of giving a truthful yet lawyerly answer without being completely open or transparent. I had a very hard week. I, I couldn't sleep. Too much on my mind. It was a puny start. There was considerably more that needed to come out. Trying to be upbeat, I quickly changed the subject. Hey, I just finished working out and I'm starving. Phil wheeled his bags into our bedroom. Are you hungry? Want to get some sushi? Sure. Give me a minute to change. I was anxious to catch up on the week's worth of activities. Since the kids were at school and two weeks had passed since Phil and I had been intimate, I had mentally prepared myself for arrival sex, knowing we would have more time after lunch than after the kids went to bed. I hated quickies and wanted to have more than just a physical encounter. At the restaurant, I did most of the talking. I figured jet lag was making it difficult for Phil to be peppy. He asked a few questions about our kids, but his head was still in business mode. He was never fun when his mind was on work. It usually took a couple days for him to settle into being home. It was what I called reentry, the process of reconnecting emotionally and sexually, part of a dance not only for us, but relationally for our whole family. We hurriedly finished lunch and headed home. I held the door open for our dog, and strangely, Phil waited for me. When I turned to look at him, his eyes were downcast and sad and full of dread. He gently took my hand and led me toward the kitchen table. We sat facing each other, and something seemed off. Phil struggled to get out the first word as his eyes dropped to the table. He stared at his folded hands and said, 
I have something to tell you. His lips tightened and his brow wrinkled, and I felt tightening in my stomach. His chin began to quiver and his shoulders slumped, communicating he had something big to say. Fear rose in me. His breathing became short and rapid, broken only by quiet sobs that slowly racked his body, like waves washing onto the shore. My pulse accelerated as my thoughts went back 18 years to a very serious porn video conversation at the same table. Oh, dear Jesus. What has Phil done? Was he fired? Did he do something immoral? He lifted his head and tears streamed down his face. I waited, not breathing, and watched him wipe them away with his hands. I had never seen him cry like this before, and I could manage only a week. Are you okay? No, I'm not. He said this almost unintelligibly as he shifted in his chair. Phil's answer made me hesitate, realizing this must be something really big. I finally managed to eke out the next obvious question, though slowly emphasizing each word. What did you do? I wanted to know and understand what we were dealing with, but Phil continued to look down and seemed unable to reply. I eventually found enough courage to voice my greatest fear. Have you been with someone else on this trip? He could barely force his reply out between sobs, which were now more intense and frequent. No, not on this trip. Thrown by his response, I wrestled with the sudden onslaught of questions firing in my head. What does not on this trip mean? On another trip, he was unfaithful? How could this be? He always calls me when he's out of town, and when he's in town, he's always with me. I gripped my chair, and I leaned back, bracing for what might come next. The weight stole my voice, and I whispered, Not on this trip? Then when? Silence. Phil's head rested on his arms and his hands covering his face. He was breathing heavily, like he was searching for strength to answer. He uncovered his eyes and his lips began to move. Then ragged words stumbled out. I've been, I've been living a double life. Stunned, I instinctively recoiled from the stab to my heart and the tidal wave of more questions pummeled me. What's happening to us? This doesn't make sense. A double life? How can he have a double life? I know where he is all the time. And his calendar's always booked. He's never out at night. And he spends his free time with us. How is this possible? I couldn't wrap my brain around his words, double life. It sounded foreign, so out of left field. What does this even mean, a double life? I wasn't prepared for this and felt myself falling apart and needing answers. What do you mean by a double life? Although I asked the question calmly, inside I was preparing for a hurricane. I felt the gusts pushing my emotions to breaking point. There has to be a reasonable explanation. This can't mean what I think it means. Paul Speed had told me, you can't minimize your sin and you need to share everything with Priscilla so she won't be left hanging to imagine details worse than what you've done. He'd said that secrets create fertile ground for seeds of immorality to grow and anything left hidden would be like a hook, pulling me back into my past sinful thoughts, temptations, and behaviors. And he'd said, if you want to be truly free, you have to expose all your secrets and shame. 
I was ready to unload the weight of my sin, no longer wanting to protect myself. I couldn't bear the burden anymore. But where to start? I'd done so much wrong. Priscilla searched my face as I struggled to release the truth. Her mouth had straightened and her eyes told me she wanted to know and understand what I had done. I tried to talk, but only groans with sobs escaped my lips. Jesus, help me. Utterly broken, I began my confession. I've been going to massage parlors, but not like the ones you go to. Priscilla's patient approach to drawing me out faded as her wide eyes narrowed and her lips pursed. Where? She demanded tightly. With another step of humility, I answered with clarity, knowing I had to be hot to become healed. The places I've traveled and here in town. I'm so sorry. Oh, God, please help me. I cried as I uttered the first details of my sinful life, words that began to describe the longtime shame burning inside of me, details I had never told anyone. Phil's words were a gut punch, taking my breath. A battle began to form in my head. Is it better to know or not know what he did in those dark, degrading places? I imagined all sorts of scenarios and wanted to run and hide. But if I don't ask the question, how will I know the truth? Will knowing be any worse than the images running through my imagination? If I know the truth, at least I won't live in fear of the unknown. I concluded that the truth had to be more powerful than the lies stoking my fears. Still, I felt desperate to flee. I stood and turned, hands on my hips, and wildly looked around, but there was nowhere to run. I turned back to Phil, placed one hand on the table and the other on the chair next to him. I leaned over him in fury and fired off questions like a seasoned prosecutor, giving him only seconds to answer before shooting the next volley. How many times did you go? How much did you pay them? What did they look like? Were they pretty? What were they wearing? Was this why you carried so much cash? Where were their hands? Where were your hands? What did they say? What did you say? Did you go back to the same woman? My questions were demands, full of anger and rudeness and short and to the point. I needed answers to center my mind on what had actually happened rather than focusing on my fears. Hurry up, Phil. Explain. I don't know how much more I can take. What started with one very direct question became a torrential downpour, question after question. I'd barely answered the first before the next one hit. I talked faster and faster, although each answer just turned into another question. As I shared the details of my secrets and shame, Priscilla's face and body contorted with an uncontrollable rhythmic bounce to my every word. She stamped her feet in disgust as each syllable of her demands for an explanation was formed by sobs, creating new bends to her lips and eyes as her tears flowed. Phil answered all my questions in detail. His words painted an ugly picture of betrayal. I knew what the women had looked like, what they had worn, and what they had said and done. More importantly, I knew what Phil had done. Although I had never seen a nervous breakdown, his behavior looked like one. He was crying nonstop, his confession broken only when he begged for forgiveness. As the details became clear, I realized he participated in more than massages with something extra. He had participated in activities previously reserved exclusively for me, 
enjoyed in the intimate confines of our bedroom. Phil receiving pleasure was one thing, but giving pleasure to other women was something entirely different. It was as if he had taken a precious gift, wrapped and presented only to me, and then ripped it out of my hands and given it to another woman. The reality was more than I could bear. My knees grew weak from the anguish in my soul. Phil had always been a pillar of strength, my personal strong tower I could run to for protection, and he turned into my torturer. How dare you, Phil? I hissed, my intense pain making it hard for me to get out any more than the agonizing statement gorged with disgust and rage. I had devoted my life to Phil, to making him look good, to creating the perfect family picture that mirrored to the world that the Fretwells were people to be admired and emulated. And Phil had shattered the mirror into a million pieces. The shards had created so many wounds in me in our marriage that no one would ever be able to heal them, let alone Phil or me. He tried to touch my hand as if to say, I'm sorry, and I pulled from his reach, repulsed. I paced from the sink to the table, wanting an escape so I wouldn't have to step on the broken pieces of our life. Our marriage was crushed and irreparable. I was crushed and irreparable. Having no place to run, the lifeblood flowing out of me, I fell into the chair and stared at him. My husband had chosen to betray me for moments of illicit pleasure rather than choosing me. The realization was unbearable. Voices chanted in my thoughts in a maniacal chorus. Lies, lies, lies. Everything you've known were lies. All your family celebrations, the milestones in your life, the vacations together, your perfect family pictures, all lies. I tried to reject the voices, but they consumed me. Each word, a painful stab, impossible to escape or deny. My whole being cried, Phil, have you lied to me all this time, all these years? Did I not mean anything to you? Do you even care about your family? Although the pain I'd experienced on the plane had been monstrous, it was nothing like the agony of confessing to my wife and witnessing the visceral effects in her. On the plane, I could only imagine her reaction. In the reality of our kitchen, she was ablaze with anguish anger, disgust, and despair, painting a horrendous picture of what my sin had done to her heart. Her every move, tear, and word dripped with fury from my betrayal, paralyzing me as our tears flowed uncontrollably under the tormenting weight of my sin. The pace of her questions had slowed, and she now sat in lifeless silence. Neither of us knew what more to say. I had shared everything, which made clear to her why there had been distance between us for so many years, why I had for so long disconnected from her emotionally, and why she'd had angry dreams of betrayal. I had always had a secret life that I'd worked hard to keep hidden, desperate to protect her and me from pain. Through the years, I'd never thought I would take my guilt to the grave, but I'd believed that rather one day, maybe in my 80s, I'd share my long past secrets and shame with Priscilla. I'd imagined I would have figured out long before how to shake the temptations and be out of my dark lifestyle by that later point in life. My indiscretions would be long past, and I'd feel good about myself and be able to tell her, 20 years ago, I had some problems. I imagined her graciously forgiving me and saying, let bygones be bygones. The problem with my logic was thinking I'd get better. 
I've been contemplating this plan for most of our marriage, but all I had done was get worse. And now the physical manifestation of my sin through a possible STD had obliterated any possibility of waiting until I was 80 to confess my double life. Clearly, I had a seriously destructive problem in my brain, and it was unlikely my reality would get easier with the passage of time. I thought back to Paul Speed's words, when you don't know what to do next, humility is always the answer. Although I had just shared my sin and true brokenness with Priscilla, I knew I needed to take another step deeper into authentic humility. I had always been self-sufficient, and I now sensed that Priscilla could be part of God's plan to help me overcome addiction and heal. I pointed to my head and in desperation pleaded further truth. Priscilla, I am so sick. My mind is broken. I need your help to get it fixed. Will you help me? Although Phil's request was simple, it was a profound switch in his longtime attitude towards me. His words were soft, contemplative, and humble, reflecting brokenness I'd never before seen in him. He had never asked for my help with anything except chores related to kids, our home, and making him look better. He had always been self-assured and in charge. So seeing him bent over in weakness, needing something only I could provide, was unnerving. But my emotions were still raging, making me want to exact vengeance rather than provide help. And I thought, hell no. After what you've done, you're on your own. Still, his quiet plea, will you help me, got my attention. His typical arrogance had been replaced with brokenness and contriteness I'd never witnessed in him, and he looked genuinely lost. His shoulders were slumped in defeat, his head was bowed, and his red eyes begged, Please help me. I can't do this alone. As I further pondered his appeal, inside of his radical loss of pride, a man I barely recognized, a tiny feeling of mercy, a sliver of compassion opened my heart. Phil is my husband. We've been married for longer than I've lived without him, and he's the father of our five children. Still enraged and a slave to my broken heart, I guardedly agreed to at least help him find healing. I couldn't promise more than that. Okay, we'll get through this. I'll help you get fixed. Priscilla's resilience prompted a flashback to my past confession of the porn videos I'd brought into our home. She and I had trudged through that crisis by keeping a lid on everything. We'd chosen an easier path, hiding our pain by sweeping the issue and all its tentacles into our separate closets, wrestling through our feelings in the dark, independent of each other. Now, 18 years later, we again face the same option, simply lock it all away. Although I was relieved to hear she would help me, I knew we couldn't take the same road this time. Perpetually hiding my sin had fostered only further decay and stench. I was searching for healing that would eradicate my sinful desires. If such radical healing was possible, I was willing to write my sins on a billboard if that was what it would take. I looked at Priscilla and shook my head. No, I have to tell our kids. She jerked her head toward me, her eyes searching mine, trying to process my words. Our kids, she stammered, as though unsure she had heard me correctly. Yes, our kids, I have to tell them. This secret life is killing me. It's killing us and our marriage. As agonizing as it was to have confessed to Priscilla, 
the thought of being hot with our kids felt even worse. We prided ourselves on raising our children right by homeschooling and doing plenty of religious things such as going to church, praying before meals, and occasionally reading the Bible with them. We believed if our kids saw us as model Christians, they would be model Christians. If we looked successful, it would ensure their success. So I'd pursue becoming a leader in the church, teaching Bible studies, and making sure everyone, especially our children, thought we were great Christians. We believed if our children knew we had failed in anything, we would be handing them a pass card to do the same. We thought the keys to their successes were rooted in following our example of looking good and becoming somebody. Our false beliefs had kept us from presenting our honest frailties and limitations to our children and others. We wrongly believed our well-intentioned facades were for the benefit of our children, which encouraged us to embrace hypocrisy as a necessary way of life to gain acceptance, respect, and accolades. It was the wide road of destruction the path of pride. But not Anna Hope and Becca, Priscilla gasped. They're too young. They're only nine and 11. Anna Hope and Becca were the youngest of our five children. We had adopted them from China when they were under three years old, and Priscilla had been their constant protector and comforter. She reacted to every issue as if it exacerbated some unseen pain or deficit from their past. Yes, Anna Hope and Becca too, I whispered hanging my head. No, 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 Priscilla pleaded as she doubled over, hands on her knees, heaving like she was going to vomit. Her mama bear instincts had emerged in wails of anguish, and I was the cause. Our young daughter's lives will be tinged with my vile transgressions and painful disappointment that their dad is not worthy of being their hero. Priscilla was visibly spiraling out of control, and instinctively, I was compelled to rescue her. I couldn't lose her on this one point. Priscilla, Priscilla, we don't have to decide right now. We can just take one step at a time. Just one step, she nodded, and we wept as we contemplated how my confession would shake our children's whole world. Sharing my sin with our children was going to be daunting. Phil's decision to share his sin with Anna Hope and Becca sickened me. How can he even consider ruining two little lives with his wretched truths? It's not fair to them. They're innocent. How has his problem now become everyone's problem? Nothing made sense. My world and thinking were upside down. Seeing my shock and struggle to accept that we had to share his sexual sin with our little girls, he quickly shifted gears. As he continued talking, I was speechless. Priscilla, there's an organization, Whatever It Takes Ministries, and I talked with the founder, Paul Speed. The ministry helps men and women who are experiencing trauma like we're going through. They have weekend retreats for men and women, and I've already signed up for the men's retreat. It's in two weeks. It's called Four Days to Freedom. They also have a women's retreat, Four Days to Hope. It's run by his wife, Jenny, and starts this Thursday in Atlanta. I've already registered you and bought a plane ticket. I think it will answer your questions about the steps I should take to heal my mind. Can you do this for me? I need your help. What? He's asking me to take the first step towards fixing his problem? They're not my problems to fix. They're his. 
He's the one who's been unfaithful, and he's the one who needs to fix this. How can one weekend away from this nightmare possibly fix his problems? I wasn't so sure, but the thought of escape from facing Phil every morning was, frankly, a salvation. My soul was screaming, run, get away. Leaving for a retreat felt far better than staying home with Phil. Okay, I'll go. I realized it was time to pick up Anna Hope and back up from school, and I grabbed my keys while struggling to pull myself together. As I left, Phil and I exchanged a painful glance, but said nothing. Deja vu hit me as I recalled the previous time. Eighteen years ago, I'd sat alone at our kitchen table in despair, my mind racing. I'd made the initial call that connected me to Brian for five years of counseling. Had I really wasted 18 years? Although I was relieved that Priscilla now knew about my secret life, questions without answers circled my spirit like scavengers seeking roadkill. Part of me still felt dead and decaying in my sin. How will I tell my children? How will this affect their lives? Will they still love me? Will Priscilla ever forgive me? Will we get a divorce? Can I ever control my lust? What happens if I ever fail again? I'd been unsuccessful in the past at curbing my sinful lust, even after five years of counseling. I didn't yet have any confidence this time would be different. My dad had remarried three days after his divorce with my mom was final. I was 10 years old. I never learned much about their circumstances, but it was clear to me he had committed adultery. By the end of his life, my dad had been married seven times. The first summer my sister and I had visited his new family, our new stepmother, Mama Patty, had rushed into the family room one afternoon, quickly gathered us and her kids, and sent us to a neighbor's apartment. She had hurriedly moved us along without offering an explanation. She'd only said she and my dad had to go somewhere. When they returned several hours later, my dad had explained he had accidentally shot himself and the bullet had entered his chest and exited his shoulder, amazingly missing his vital organs. As he had calmly shared the story, he'd removed his shirt and showed us the bandages on his chest and his back. He'd said he had been cleaning his revolver and the gun had accidentally fired. His story hadn't made sense to me, and never would. He was former military and certainly knew how to handle guns. At the time, I wondered why it was so important for him to clean his gun. How or why had he left a bullet in it? How had he accidentally pointed it at his chest and then accidentally pulled the trigger? I didn't know much about guns, but making sure a gun was completely unloaded before cleaning it was something everyone would know to check and double check. Over the years, I invented my own answers. The shame and guilt of my dad's adultery had become too painful for him to bear. Seeing my sister and me struggling with his new family, he had let his regret consume him with unbearable pain. In desperation, he had turned to his gun. It would be 40 years before I broached the topic with my dad. His denial of a self-inflicted gunshot wound and absence of a truthful explanation for why he'd shot himself remained unchanged and still unbelievable. The example of my dad's adultery, and I believe his attempted suicide, kept one fear ever before me. You are going to be just like your father, destined to suffer the same fate. 
With every failure through the years, that was the message the enemy whispered in my ear. Priscilla and I had made a vow at the beginning of our marriage that we would never use the D word. Yet here we were dealing with something that had the potential to take us there. Becoming divorced like my father was one thing I desperately wanted to avoid. In that moment at the kitchen table, the enemy of my soul, the devil, resurrected in me his familiar refrain. See, you're just like your father. In my desperation to prove him wrong, I took a step toward truth, toward humility, toward freedom. Coming clean to Priscilla about not only my sin, but also my past and what was going on inside me, something my father had never done with my mother, gave me hope. As memories pulsated in my head, I gained new insight, the final puzzle piece that formed the complete picture of my addiction. I saw clearly the lies I had believed. A little porn use is acceptable. Every man needs to learn how to accommodate this normal level of lust because it's uncontrollable. How can we really be responsible for sin that is uncontrollable? We can't. In truth, porn is the destroyer of spiritual, emotional, and physical intimacy, not only of a marriage, but of the whole family. Allowing porn into my mind was not a victimless crime. Believing the lies had led me further into darkness, despair, and lustful desires than I had ever imagined I would go. Lust was the overwhelmingly powerful vehicle that had driven me toward adultery. It was hard for me to accept this label, adulterer. I preferred to think I just had a problem with porn. But in Matthew 5.28, Jesus said, Everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The fact was, I had been an adulterer for many years before going to a massage parlor. I had never done anything outwardly that had not first taken root inside my mind. I had thought the solution to my sin was controlling my outward actions. But I also knew Romans 12.2 and brushed it aside. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yes, the truth was I was an adulterer and needed an inward transformation, a renewing of my mind to be an authentic man of God. In the car, headed to pick up our girls from school, I breathed a sigh of relief, thankful to get away from my antagonist, if only for a few minutes. Anna, Hope, and Becca would soon be in the car, and I felt like a mess. In the visor mirror, I saw my bloodshot, puffy eyes and swollen nose. Maybe they won't notice. I managed my brightest high girls as they hopped into the car. Little Becca questioned me right away. Mommy, have you been crying? Is it happy cry or sad cry? I decided to be honest. It's a sad cry, baby girl. Becca twisted her little body to face me. Can you talk about it? No, not right now. I will later. We rode home in silence without the usual chatter of their day's events. In the days that followed, I cried nonstop. I couldn't accept the reality of what was happening to my marriage and the threat to my family. I was in denial, the first stage of working through my grief. I isolated myself from Phil, and we spoke only about things necessary to coexist. While I counted down the days to my upcoming trip to the Atlanta retreat, the whole kitchen scene replayed in my head. 
The events of the past week had certainly pushed us over the edge and further apart. But the truth was, we'd been disconnected emotionally and sexually for years. My angry dreams meant something after all. I wasn't crazy. The week before Four Days to Hope, Priscilla and I treaded water. I didn't sleep well and rose between two and four every morning. My thoughts were dominated by memories of Priscilla stomping her feet, crying and screaming at me. A picture of savage pain, wild, untamed, and full of force. I didn't realize it then, but that picture would become a powerful deterrent against allowing my desires to feast on lustful thoughts again. Massage parlors had always been linked in my mind to pleasure, and now they were indelibly linked to my grievous confession of sin and the excruciating picture of Priscilla suffering unbearable pain. I never, ever wanted Priscilla or me to again experience that crippling horror. But there was one thing I'd been too afraid to tell Priscilla about, the hard white bump that had instigated my emotional crisis and sent me reeling in fear. We had already agreed that we should both get tested for STDs, so what would be served by telling her about the bump? It would create only fear and wouldn't change the outcome of the testing, so I decided not to share it. One morning, as I got out of the shower, my finger went to the familiar hard white bump, reminding me I had reaped what I'd sown. I gave the bump a slight squeeze, and it popped. It wasn't a wart at all. It was more like a pimple, but with no redness or remaining mark. As mysteriously as it had appeared a couple of weeks prior, it had gone, never to return. I was incredulous. I had gone down this painful, heart-rending path based on believing I had an STD, which wasn't an STD at all. I briefly wondered what life would have been like if I had waited to confess. Maybe I wouldn't have had to go through all this pain, but neither would I have realized the taste of true freedom I had experienced since confessing. In God's providence, He knew exactly what I needed to push me over the edge and win. He had allowed the physical bump to destroy my resolve to keep my double life secret. It was more amazing evidence of God's love for me and confirmed that He was truly moving in a supernatural way I had never experienced. He was refining me to become the man, husband, and dad He created me to be. As Priscilla and I prepared for our back-to-back -back weekend retreats, I began to clearly see that my pain was also a vehicle, moving me to where God wanted me to be. Rather than numbing my pain, I needed to feel it. Numbing had been my way of life, beginning with my parents' divorce when I discovered that the drug of porn could provide that fix anytime I needed it. I never imagined how far this drug would pull me into darkness, fear, and desperation. Had God not intervened, porn would have taken me even further down the wide road of destruction. As we pulled up to the airport curb at departures, I retrieved Priscilla's luggage from the trunk and gave her the handle. She turned to walk toward the airport entrance and, with a sidewise glance, said, I'll send you a text when I get there. I'll be praying for you, I responded, trying to show her newfound care and concern. She left without a hug or further words. As I watched her walk off, I thought about the name of her retreat, Four Days to Hope. The time frame didn't seem plausible. Only four days? After what we've gone through? Even four years seemed like a stretch, but I didn't have any other answer in my hip pocket. No clever way to get a redo. 
nothing to rely on but faith and hope. The only way out was forward. The next four days had the potential to either make or break us. I felt entirely broken. I didn't realize God was doing more than changing me. He was planning to change us and the trajectory of our entire family. We would soon discover he had a radical, savage plan too wonderful for us to even imagine. Savage questions for reflection. Number one, have you ever experienced a marital crisis? What happened? How did it change you? What are the lingering effects? Number two, have you told your children about any of your failures? Why or why not? Number three, have you or your spouse ever revealed something that caused significant pain in your marriage? What happened? How did the truth affect your relationship? How did healing occur? Or what is needed to be healed? This is Phil and Priscilla Fretwell. Thanks for listening. Our book, Savage Marriage, Triumph Over Betrayal and Sexual Addiction, is now available on Amazon. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Savage Marriage Ministries. Also, join our Savage Marriage community at SavageMarriageMinistries.com. And remember, it's God who is at work in your savage adventure.